Feeling the Fear. It's one of the most enigmatic episodes in the Torah, but also one of the most important because it was the moment that gave the Jewish people its name, Israel, the one who wrestles with God and with men and prevails. Jacob, hearing that his brother Esau is coming to meet him with a force of 400 men, was terrified. He was, says the Torah, Bayira Yaakov Ma'od very afraid and distressed. He made three forms of preparation, appeasement, prayer, and war. He sent Esau a huge gift of cattle and flocks, hoping to appease him. He prayed to God, Rescue me, I pray, from the hand of my brother. And he made preparation for war, dividing his household into two camps so that one at least would survive. Yet he remained anxious. Alone at night, he wrestled with the stranger until the break of dawn. Who the stranger was isn't clear. The text calls him a man. Hosea in the Haftarah called him an angel. The sages said it was the guardian angel of Esau. Jacob himself seemed sure that he'd encountered God himself. He called the place where the struggle took place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and my life was spared. There are many interpretations, but one is especially fascinating, both in style and substance. It comes from Rashi's grandson, Rabbi Shmuel ben Meir, Rashbam. Rashbam had a strikingly original approach to biblical commentary. He felt that the sages, intent as they were, on reading the text for its halachic ramifications, often failed to penetrate to what he called omek pshuto shel mikra, the plain sense of the text, in its full depth. Well, using this methodology, Rashbam does a remarkable reading of the nighttime wrestling match. He takes it as an instance of what Robert Alter has called a type scene, that is, a stylized episode that happens more than once in Tanakh. One obvious example is young man meets future wife at well, a scene enacted with variations three times in the Torah, in the case of Abraham's servant and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, and Moses and Zipporah. There are differences between them, but there are enough similarities to make us realize that we're dealing with a convention. Another example which occurs many times in Tanakh is birth of a hero to a hitherto infertile woman. Now, Rashbam sees this method as the clue to understanding Jacob's nighttime flight. He relates it to other episodes in Tanakh, two in particular, the story of Jonah and the obscure episode in the life of Moses when on his way back to Egypt the text says that when they were in the place where they spent the night along the way, God confronted Moses and wanted to kill him. Tzipporah then saved Moses' life by giving their son a Brit. It's the story of Jonah that provides the key to understanding the others. Jonah sought to escape from his mission to go to Nineveh to warn the people that the city was about to be destroyed if they didn't repent. Jonah fled in a boat to Tarshish, but God brought a storm that threatened to sink the ship. The prophet was then thrown into the sea, swallowed by a giant fish that later vomited him out alive. Jonah thus realized that flight was impossible. The same, says Rushbum, applies to Moses, who at the burning bush repeatedly expressed his reluctance to undertake the task God had sent him. Evidently, Moses was still prevaricating even after beginning the journey, which is why God was angry with him. 
So it was with Jacob. According to Rushbaum, despite God's assurances and all his own preparations, he was still afraid of encountering Esau. His courage failed him, and he was trying to run away. God sent him an angel to stop him doing so. It's unique interpretation, sobering in its implication, because here were three men, great men, Jacob, Moses, and Jonah. Yet all three, according to Rushbaum, were afraid. Of what? None was a coward. They were afraid, essentially, of their mission. Moses kept telling God at the burning bush, Who am I? They won't believe in me. I'm not a man of words. Jonah was reluctant to deliver a message from God to Israel's enemies. And Jacob had just said to God, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faith you have shown me. Nor were these the only people in Tanakh who had this kind of fear. So did the prophet Isaiah when he said to God, I am a man of unclean lips. So did Jeremiah when he said, I cannot speak, I'm a child. This is not physical fear. It is the fear that comes from a feeling of personal inadequacy. Who am I to lead the Jewish people, asked Moses. Who am I to deliver the word of God, asked the prophets. Who am I to stand before my brother Esau, knowing that I will continue the covenant and he will not? asked Jacob. Sometimes the greatest have the least self-confidence because they know how immense is the responsibility and how small they feel in relation to it. Courage doesn't mean having no fear. It means having fear but overcoming it. And if that is true of physical courage, it is no less true of moral and spiritual courage. Marianne Williamson's remarks on the subject have become justly famous. She wrote, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, Who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure about you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give people, other people, permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Well, that was Marianne Williamson. Of course, Shakespeare said it best. Be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great. Some achieve greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them. I sometimes feel that consciously or subconsciously, some people take flight from Judaism for this very reason. Who are we to be God's witnesses to the world, a light to the nations, a role model for others? 
If even spiritual giants like Jacob, Moses and Jonah sought to flee, how much more so you and me? This fear of unworthiness is one that surely most of us have had at one time or another. The reason that it's wrong isn't that it's untrue, but that it's irrelevant. Of course we feel inadequate to a great task before we undertake it. It's having the courage to undertake it that makes us great. Leaders grow by leading. Writers grow by writing. Teachers grow by teaching. It's only by overcoming our sense of inadequacy that we throw ourselves into the task and feel ourselves lifted and enlarged by so doing. In the title of a well-known book, we must feel the fear and do it anyway. Be not afraid of greatness. That's why God wrestled with Jacob, Moses and Jonah and wouldn't let them escape. We may, may not be born great, but by being born or converting to become a Jew, we have greatness thrust upon us. And as Marion Williamson rightly said, by liberating ourselves from fear, we help liberate others. That's what we as Jews are meant to do, to have the courage to be different, to challenge the idols of the age, to be true to our faith while seeking to be a blessing to others regardless of their faith. For we are all children of the man who was given the name of one who wrestles with God and with men and prevails. Ours isn't an easy task, but what worthwhile mission ever was. We are as great as the challenges we have the courage to undertake. And if at times we feel like running away, we shouldn't feel bad about it. So did the greatest. To feel fear is fine. To give way to it is not, for God has faith in us, even if at times even the best lack faith in themselves.